ever since It's been a long, a long time coming But I know Welcome, welcome, this is the Simply King Podcast And this is Harry himself And you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast For humans simply being humans And today is a special one I'm still, I'm essentially still going about, you know, this very sense of Black History Month and speaking about Black History Month and, you know, filling in. If you haven't heard my Black History Month episodes, then you definitely, you know, want to make sure, you know, make that your business to listen to those, you know, especially my one from last week featuring Alexa Heard. It was great. It was lovely and it was extremely informative. But today I have another Clark Atlanta University alum from the illustrious um, former SGA president, now a actual person who is within the arts, pushing, literally pushing culture forward. <laughs> I have Farron Manuel here with me today. How you doing, bro? I'm well. How's it going? I'm doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Farron, just to you know, qualify, has always been a person who I've respected his his perspective on. So many different things, especially when it comes to, you know, things about history and facts about history and just making that extremely palatable for the average person. And so I felt like, you know, having a conversation about, you know, black history during Black History Month, uh, I could think couldn't think of, you know, really no one else to kind of continue this dialogue with. I, I guess I could start off by saying. What? Do you think, I guess, is it unprecedented, the the current, I guess, government and, and presidential, you know, administration that we have from, you know, the things that you've read? Or is, there, is this something that has happened before? Or is this really, truly the first time we've had something this ridiculous in our, you know, in our midst, I guess? I, I think as far as um, the as far as politics. I would say um, things that are happening right now with, um, you know, with us, like as a culture, we tend to get more engaged. Mm-hmm. And and I think this, this kind of applies to like all people. Like we really get more engaged in things when we can see ourselves in it. Yes. So, um, you know, like we're seeing like Barack Obama and the first family was like the first time you got such a huge voter turnout of like young black voters, black voters in general, but like especially like young people making it a point to get involved, to learn certain, you know, dynamics within politics, to learn the rules and to learn how to play the game. And then right after that happens, we get a reality TV personality as a president. Mm-hmm. So it's like you got the spectacle reality TV, which our generation is very familiar with. Exactly. How contradictory that is the government and, and like seriousness meeting the same generation who's looking to get more politically inclined and more politically involved. So I think that's like the major thing where people are criticizing, you know, where we are right now even more. And it makes it even more ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I immediately noticed the, the kind of comparisons to, you know, Reagan and Nixon and things like this just in, you know, ideology and just the, how the times were. And I think what's the most interesting about that comparison is just, you know, how so during those times, what spawned during those times, you know, what was actually happening, what type of movements from, you know, either being civil rights or black power movements, do you, I guess, predict or see because of those kind of similarities, it being, you know, especially Ronald Reagan being this very non-traditional, still, you know, be- became a politician, but was a superstar, quote unquote, um, literally acting in movies and things like that. It's a great comparison to make. Do you think there, you know, are certain things that are going to spawn from this Trump presidency as well? Certain movements or what, oh, what have you already noticed? Um... I would say that definitely the parallels are there between um, Trump and Reagan. You know, Mm -hmm. like Reagan starting out as an actor who was, you know, pretty popular. He was well known from TV. And Trump, the same way, he, you know, you can qualify him as an actor, uh, uh, um, a reality show personality. So those parallels are there and those um, conservative, um, racist 
politics are there heavily too. So as far as you know, Reagan, his whole campaign was about um, you know perpetuating the wealthy, perpetuating like southern mythologies about black folks mm-hmm. and about people that are white, and um, you know helping to continue building the uh, prison industry. And I would say with Trump, his personality is so um, unserious. Some of the things that he says, people don't take them as seriously as they should be taken. Some mm-hmm. of the policies he's created, people don't take them as very serious things. So you had a huge, I would say, movement with Obama to kind of decriminalize marijuana to, um, you know, get a lot of people out of prison for these lesser charges. And then we get this new administration in and they're undoing a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So it's not even necessarily, you know, him creating these radical um reversals of things that were getting reformed well, well no, no matter of fact I, I meant to say it like he's not really um in place he's really just kind of undoing um the policies to get rid of the old ways hmm. so he's just a move you know he's pretty much just moving things back to um how they like the the, the things that obama was able to change he's actually just kind of moving those things back to where they were he's putting the pieces back yeah I think, uh, do you, what do you think of, you know, just in the comparison of, you know, history to now, I think, you know, you know, when I think about the past and, you know, there's been so many different, you know, theories and so much dialogue that goes about of what creates certain, you know, white rage, what has these certain spikes of white rage and, you know, that occur, you know, with certain groups acting out and having more demonstrations and doing all these different things. Um, I believe, you know, back in the 60s, you had, you know, definitely, you know, a lot more prolific things that have happened. I've said on previous episodes, especially uh, after the the Charlottesville uh, incident occurred, that uh, these very small minded middle American white citizens of America, they're very simple. And so where they see some intimidation they see it from the things that they can touch, the things that they can consume. A lot of that consumption can come from, you know, radio, television, music, you know, just culture in general. So when you see, you know, a news headline that says hip hop is the, you know, the most uh, it's the highest welcome, highest, you know, grossing genre. And then you see, you know, that there's this push towards, you know, diversity in Hollywood and diversity on television then you see that, you know, everything around you to their in their eyes, even though from our perspective, we just see it as it's about damn time in a lot of these spaces. Do you do you think that what do you think is that, you know, I believe that's a sense of, you know, why the I guess white rage is a part of it. It's definitely not the whole. But they see these things as, oh, we aren't they aren't thinking about us. They're talking, they're talking, everything I, if I flip the TV and I see black people and why are they upset? Why are they still mad? They get all these things. I don't have none of that shit because they're very simple. And I believe those things have have always kind of, you know, been uh, present even in the 60s as well, even though they should be, I think, you know, people who are middle Americans, I think definitely have a lot in common with, you know, the impoverished black people within, you know, places like the South side of Chicago and things like that. But there's always been this historical distance because of whiteness. And I, I would, I would love to know, I guess when it comes to historically, did is that just a, a rage that it was created and never went away or is it two different things from, these, you know, tr- quote unquote, Trump voters or deplorables, as they call them, to the people of the 60s, essentially. So, so it's a long question. So I'll, um, I'll start it with like, you know, like the perception thing with a lot of blacks, a lot of black folks, I'm about to say, sound like Trump, the blacks, but not a lot of black folks. Um, <laughs> a lot of black folks are being um, showcased. Yeah. So as far as, you know, like being on like being on like a lot of television shows, being on radio, being in a lot of films, a lot of major films that are coming out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like the same thing started happening in um, like back in the 70s with the whole black exploitation thing when Hollywood yeah. was pretty much failing because you had like white flight, a lot of white people leaving out of the cities, going to the suburbs in the 1970s. A lot of black people moving into the cities where the theaters were, so they started showing all these black films. 
um, like Shaft. You had like Superfly back in the day. Mm-hmm. And before that, you had like all these karate movies, these cheap karate movies coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from like China and stuff. So, you know, that, that um, showing a lot of, you know, images of black folks, you know, has always been a, a, a factor that has confused people about the actual reality of racism. Mm-hmm. We're getting that it's like, you know, these films aren't actually real. Like a few, you know, a few hundred black actors being hired does not really translate to the overwhelming number of black people being um, resolved to racism. But if you, you know, if you're just kind of, you know, living your life and you're seeing these um, black people on TV, they're living really well on TV. So you have the illusion of black people being included and being, um, you know, becoming advanced socially. But is that the actual reality of how the majority of black people live in this country? No. Exactly. Um, but then you got like white people living out in the middle of Indiana, in the middle of Ohio, and they're seeing this same imagery. And, and that's their only connection to black people in New York, black people in Chicago, black mm-hmm. people in Philadelphia, like in larger cities. You know, they're going to have, they're, they're pretty much going to um, use that as a way to, um, his viewpoints you know and to say things about you know racism doesn't exist anymore look at all these black people on tv and sadly a lot of black people are buying into that too because we're all looking at the same imagery Mm -hmm. you know um and and the thing with that you know with that disconnect i actually met this um this it was an older white guy i had a conversation with a while back and he talked about um living on the other side of the tracks and the black people lived on, you know, the black people lived on in a neighborhood on one side of the track. The white people lived on another side of the track. So a lot of um, neighborhoods back during segregation were divided by a railroad track. And he said as a kid, he was always curious about what was happening on the other side of the tracks, but he couldn't really go over there because it wasn't a thing that was really allowed by his parents. Mm. So his, his way of getting a glimpse into the black community was going to the record store. Mm-hmm. buying these black records and sneaking them to his room to listen to them and you have a, you know you have a lot of that going on now like overwhelmingly you know that's been a part of the culture like you're in Chicago right now that's like noted as one of the most segregated cities you know in this country right now and it's and it's um, you and know it's, they have like a black now continue uh, yeah they got like a black part of town and a white part of town like you know in most places that you go so you still do have this um you know, this misconception about the way people actually live, you know, when they're just getting it from a script somebody wrote and put on the screen. Exactly. Exactly. And I think even more over, I think to express that point, being here almost, you know, three years, um, one thing that I've noticed is I've never been in a city where people had some sense of anxiety when they speak about where they reside. And Chicago mm-hmm. is a very interesting thing to see because I've seen it every every single time I talk to people about just where do they live? Because I usually never ask the question because I know people find it awkward. And I think they get to know you for, you know, from an you know, acquaintance standpoint. And so they kind of place uh, yeah, put an assumption on where you may live. So that's what makes them comfortable to ask the question when they ask the question mm-hmm. and they see that they were wrong with their you know internal assumption they immediately react like oh okay well i guess and then they then they kind of have to show interest to not make it awkward like so many times that i think you know because so many people around our age are you know you know i feel like most millennials stay you know within like west town logan square area um, Lakeview, Lincoln Park, very, you know, some of them are kind of, you know, reasonable. Some of them are very expensive to live in, but it's definitely a hodgepodge. These neighborhoods are very mixed with a lot of different, uh, really the only similarity in demographic is age, but there's a lot of different types of people there. I tell people that I'm, you know, I live on the South side. I live off of 71st in Indiana and they always give me this look like, oh, but the perception of, you know, well, you know that Huh? I always took the um the whole Chicago thing too because you know growing up watching the news, I didn't hear a lot about Chicago, Chicago, Chicago as the buzzword for black crime. Yes. Until um, President Obama got elected. Exactly. You know, 
and they would always use that as a way to shame Obama, by President Obama at the time. Like they would use that to shame him by by quoting the crime rate in Chicago, when actually, you know, like the crime rate, like you know, not saying this is directly tied to his presidency or anything, but you got like the murder rate, like slightly went down around the time he became the president, and say like if it's down. Say like it's down from, I'm just giving like hypothetical numbers about like how media is presented. It goes down from 100 killings a year to 50 a year for like two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on like the fifth year, it goes up to like 75. So no matter of fact, say like it goes down from 200 a year and then it goes to 50 a year and then it goes to 100, right? They'll mm-hmm. say the murder rate in Chicago has doubled Exactly. But you're thinking, you know, you're thinking that it's just a whole lot of murder that is like double from from what? You know, like people are asking these questions, but it's like with the way media is presented, you really don't have time. When you watch like people debate about things on the news, it's very fast paced. It's not, you know, typically like a podcast where things are kind of slowed down and you can have an actual full conversation about it. It's just like a a two or three minute segment where people are just... Um, what about black on black crime? The murder rate, you know, Obama, they just kind of go back and forth on these topics and things aren't really being teased out to the point where people are being educated and understand these things. What do you so, think? What do you, you think, know. you know, when it comes to because I think historically that is an example. And I think, you know, I get it all the time. I was just in L.A. and I met this woman uh, at the what's the it's cam. I forgot the name of the. I guess the California African American Museum, and um, and she was from Chicago, so we you know chatted it up, and she was just like asking. Her son was there interviewing with USC, and she was just asking about the neighborhood and all these different things. And I find it interesting because you know I was so glad to find out that she you know that she understood that that sense of like there's bad parts everywhere. And me being in Chicago, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I have an advantage with my, you know, my blackness because I, I can walk in the streets and people don't, you know, they probably just assume I'm just a local and I'm just from here and I always have been here. So I don't really get, you know, bothered at all. I've never really been bothered. But I think I also know where not to go, you know, and I think. Right. You, you got some a sense of awareness. About yeah, it. I, I know where not to go. I know how to be when I'm, you know, walking, you know, if I'm taking public transportation, I know how not to just walk around with, you know, Beats headphones and a big ass iPhone X. You know what I'm saying? Just walking around with an iPad, with an iPad, you know what I'm saying? Just chilling with the AirPods in, just talking my ass off like I can't, like ain't nothing about to happen with the new J's, you know what I'm saying? With some fresh jeans that just came out, all that type shit. I'm just trying, I'm just asking to get robbed at this point, you know what I'm saying? And people may think that's obscene or absurd because it's like, well, that shit shouldn't happen, but it's like, you don't understand the environment that we're in, though. Like, there is somebody who who needs, who, who I obviously have all these things and yet I'm still living in this neighborhood because <laughs> I'm taking this public transportation. So I must have a little bit more than the other people around me. Or I must be doing something to ha- be able to obtain these things. So either way, to somebody who does not sees me as somebody who you just need to go ahead and give that to me. Because you, you obviously either got it, you good, and I don't give a damn. And I think uh, those things have always held true. I think, tell me, what do you think? Now, the time we're living in now, culturally, is very interesting to me. Um, I believe that, you know, it's interesting how, like, you know, blackness for the past few years have been this X factor in a lot of different, you know, uh, cultural moments. Like, we're living in this real interesting cultural moment now with Black Panther, you know, being out and it being so much, you know, very, very, literally tangible uh, excitement and energy around this film. How can I guess? How, is that? Do you think that there was a moment where you know blackness is you know being pushed as you know to the forefront in this way? Can you speak of a moment in the past where where this was a thing and I guess what happened or what occurred or what you know what's the cause or the result of that you know kind of spark in blackness in the past? Um. It kind of, I think it kind of goes in cycles. You know, it happened mm-hmm. in the 70s with, you know, like the the actual 
Black Panthers and you had something called Radical Chic where people, you know, they had the froze, the dashikis, mm-hmm. the leather jackets, the jean, the cool jeans. Like, it, that doesn't mean that everybody was, you know, studying and everybody was about their life and trying to advocate for, you know, for better, the betterment of Black people, but it was a popular, you know, it was a popular trend that people were being involved in to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, even if they weren't in the lifestyle, they wanted to have the look. Um, now, then you go to the 90s, you know, you got, you know, you got groups like, uh, like Public Enemy, you got, um, what, you got like um, X-Clan and all of these groups, and they were really, you know, about promoting, you know, knowledge, promoting information and uh, advocacy in the black community and trying to better the conditions through, you know, just kind of like re-educating the people. And, you know, people got involved for the look of it and the appeal of it. Like, they made it cool. But that doesn't mean everybody was, you know, very sincere about it. But I think, you know, participating in it couldn't hurt. Yeah. You know, just having people participating in, like, the culture of it, it doesn't it doesn't really hurt anything. It actually can be, a, you know, a good look. Like, I, I enjoy seeing people dressed in their, you know, their African garb. Um you know after black panther like something something funny happened is um you know like some people they've been doing this though like they've been mm-hmm. wearing the african garb a certain look and you ask them like you know you've been you, you just came from seeing black panther they're like bro i've been doing this yeah no this thursday so i mean it doesn't you know and another another like i haven't admittedly i haven't seen the film yet but um i plan to i plan to check it out but a lot of my friends who are from you know from the continent they they were saying things like you know, as kids, they used to get teased for being African. Exactly. Americans didn't really want to be associated with being an African person. Like, they didn't want to be associated with that at all. And I think a lot, a lot of that has to do uh, with how Africa is presented to us. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the things, you know, most of the information that we've gotten about Africa is, um, you know, like, for 10 cents a day, you can see, you know, Kwame, um, you know, a bag of rice. Like, that, that's been the presentation is where it's like it's so much more going on you know it's a lot of um you know tourist destinations that you know a lot of you know a lot of white americans are going over there they're going to zanzibar to go shopping they're going to um different shopping districts in south africa mm-hmm. they're going to resorts in ghana and so on but you know we're not really presented with that um with that same with those same information sources that are going to show us you know the hot spots in africa to go to we we kind of get the tv version of it overall you know some of us know about these spots but but i think now you know like with even with that film the idea of africa you know very urban and, and, and what we're used to as far as like a living situation and luxury they actually do exist and I think people are being open to that idea and I think a lot more of us need to go there to vacation and get a get an actual perspective of how you know how Africa is yes I, I, I so definitely, definitely um, go ahead so, that, so that's like a cool thing that I think you know, came out of the film. I think more people are interested in taking a, a, a vacation to Africa to just get a perspective on it now than they were before. Yeah, um, I, watching this film, I've seen I've seen the film. Um, I definitely don't want to give anything away because I definitely plan on doing you know a very interesting review on it uh, because it's it's very it's packed with a lot and i think you know you definitely it's going to spawn a lot of conversations as it already has but i think one big thing about it is that just that the the example that it's showing of you know an african nation that you know is so well advanced and this is a very very beautiful kind of exaggeration of you know if this if there's this place that's never been colonized and never been you know really fucked with because all African nations are, you know, majority of them have some very, you know, lucrative, you know, type of resource. So just to think if, you know, this, if Sierra Leone was never occupied, you know, by any, you know, colonizers and they had these diamonds and they could like actually, you know, be all, you know, very, be very, you know, keep that monopoly essentially, you know, very black. And like be able to control that and be able to leverage that within the world and to truly be a very wealthy nation because they have this very precious gem that everyone quotes unquote 
finds to be valued. Same thing with in so many other places with you know right. bauxite and all these different things to that have helped us you know create computers and the things that we have and you know just screens and lenses. The fact that you have so many white hands in those things it's very interesting to me. But I think more than anything, this film makes lets people know that there that there is this this it's very Pan African sense throughout the whole film. Like to look back and to truly connect. Because there, there is a something on both sides. You have, you know, both care, you know, both sides of the, of this film. People who are, you know, African American within this film will have some sense of connection to America, and the people who are, of only Wakandan background, kind of have this really interesting sensibility of like you have this and you know this, or I don't have this, and we should, should we exchange? Should we connect? And I think it's a beautiful question to be asked. And I think it's definitely something that's can be, you know, implemented into real life as well. And that that's that's the sense I'm taking from the low key spoilers online. And if y'all listening, try not to spoil it too bad for us. Oh yes. But but pretty much it's like what I see is what I've seen is like a lot of people are leaving the theater with more questions than um than than like a premise of how they should you know, view themselves or view Africa, like they're leaving yeah. with more questions about yes. it. And I think that's a cool thing is like, it seems like a lot of different narratives and different perspectives have been put into the film and people are, are kind of taking different things from all of them. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's beautiful, it's beautiful. But what do you think, you know, not even just about movies, but even when you're talking about, you know, just stepping into musically, music, uh, I think, uh, I do find it interesting now that, you know, we have this really, I remember, I think it was maybe like a month ago, there was this interesting post that was put out. I believe it was by, uh, I think it was like Nicki Minaj and people made a big thing out of it. And essentially she said something to the effect of the Billboard 100, the top five, I believe, were like all white rappers. I think it was like G-Eazy and um, what's his name? What's his name? Post Malone and... I think Macklemore may have just put a song out and it was just like essentially all just white rappers at the top of the hip hop charts. Uh, and I think Eminem put a song out that week too. Um, so it was just literally just white rappers at the top four, top five spots. And um, it was just very interesting. And I'm sitting there thinking like, damn, are we like living in the days of like motherfucking jazz or something? This is an interesting thing to see. But I want to know, what do you think? Do you think, you know, just especially from a historical standpoint, like, is is hip is, can hip hop ever really, I guess, can the same thing that happened to jazz happen to hip hop? I would say most definitely. Mm, you know, like, um, hip hop is a very, it's a very new art form. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but yeah. it's a very, you know, like, it's pretty much a very new art form. But you think about, like, not only with jazz but with rock and roll too yeah and like pretty much jazz and rock and roll are really the two old blues those are like exclusively art forms that were produced in america and they were all produced by black people mm -hmm. so and those are and those are and, and country music just you know it, it comes from you know like blues music so like like country music blues rock and roll like those things can kind of you know interplay with each other but those are the art forms that come from black people but we're not when you watch um the country music awards on um cmt <laughs> you know you don't see a lot of black artists getting awards up there young uh so, you know the same Hootie. thing can happen hootie and the blowfish oh yeah he probably be the only one that get there <laughs> you know so we we got one or two that um you know, like stealing, like, you know, I mean, more than one or two, but I'm just being, you know, making a point. But you you got a few that still, um, you know, engage and make country music. But I, I would say the same thing with rap. Um, it, it's, it's really nothing for another culture to just um, take that over and be like the, the dominant producer of it. Yeah. Um, just like in, you know, in China, like they rap in China, they rap in Japan. You got rappers coming out of Pakistan. So it's, it's definitely a contagious art form. And it's cool. It's what everybody wants to be a part of. So I would say global, globally, like the black presence, very moment is very marketable. You know, like people are, you know, 
people are very into like what we're doing as a culture. Like you even think about um, music back in the day. Like um, like you look at like the rat the Rat Pack. You got like um, Frank Sinatra and, and his boys. They're wearing these slim cut, these fitted suits, mm-hmm. but they're just dressing like the black jazz musicians from back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of look at the the difference in you know in the suits from the nineteen forties that that they were wearing in these mafia movies versus like a suit Miles Davis would have on. Exactly, and and that's that's more in line with what the Rat Pack would be wearing, styled after. You know, I was, uh, I love, you know, I love talking about history with people. And I was having a conversation with this young lady about, you know, she was just like asking about, you know, you know, the ideologies of like W.B. Du Bois and, and Booker T. Washington. And then, you know, kind of, you know, went ahead and, you know, spoke about MLK and, you know, spoke about Malcolm X and all those different things. I, um, and this is today, we're living in a times where, you know, I think for few, for, honestly, for, Probably you know almost if, you know two decades almost we've had this uh, those I guess those very uh, prolific people we really haven't been able to pinpoint I think there's always been this question of you know should we have another you know solo leader and a person who does you know these certain things or people who are activists or just people who are great thinkers that every that a large you know you know, you know, populace follows, you know, their writings. Do you think that is something that is even necessary for today? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that, you know, there's some alternative to, you know, I guess just black intelligence or just pushing the culture forward in general from that perspective of just, you know, black thought and black progression? I, I would say, um, you like somebody like Du Bois, he wasn't really that popular when he was alive. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, you know, he was kind of known, but he didn't really have like television platforms like CNN to go on and present ideas about like the Philadelphia Negro and poverty and statistics. He's actually one of the first people to really get into using statistics to combat racial myths. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can like circle back to that. But um, and even like, you know, say like with um, like Dr. King. I would say he was more so like a great um, job at explaining, you know, just the goals and the aims of a lot of different organizations. So it wasn't really him saying, you know, go and do this and go and do that. He would just kind of, in a way he was saying, go and do this and go and do that. But he's a person that had time to um, do the research and, um, and, you know, and kind of get people mobilized. And he was, and he was a trusted source for a lot of people to, um, you know, to, to alter their decisions. Like he would say, you know, stop buying this, stop doing that, and they would listen to him. Like, you know, what, well, Dr. King, you know, he seems like a knowledgeable brother. He's done his research. I'm actually going to listen to what he says, okay. and these incremental things are going to create changes in our lives. That so, sense. you know, he he. Yeah, he was like an articulator that, you know, just really had a ripple effect. Like, it was some research I did on him a while back um, about how he went to um, to Tennessee to study with these students who um, had a boycott to, um, to desegregate this clothing store, like this shopping mall. And um, Dr. King found out about it, and he, he, like, invited them down to his home I think he was living in Alabama at the time. He invited him to his home to um, like teach him their tactics about like nonviolence. But he wanted to be involved, and you know he really wanted to do something about these racist laws that were on the books. And when they went down to his house and they sat on his on his couch, he had a pistol under the cushion. Damn. And so like one of them like jumped up like this seat is uncomfortable, but you know Dr. King had the strap under the cushion. Shit. So I mean that wasn't always his. Um, philosophy he went through a period of like trying to figure out what his approach was going to be um and and a lot of the tactics that were developed by these you know these college students out in this rural town he he pretty much started articulating what they had done with that with that small shopping center and made it like a national thing Hmm. so do you you believe that you know so you know you mlk is you know still needed today to kind of get those incremental incremental change is done or do you think it's uh, we, that a collective say, is needed more than anything 
with, with King, I would say what made the happy marriage back then was um, having a black media, mm. you know, having like the, you know, the Atlanta Daily World. You had like, um, you know, just different black papers in these different in all these different cities. You had like black newspapers, black radio stations, and they would be, you know, they would be platforms that could like, in an unfiltered way, you know, just kind of promote Dr. King's speeches and his viewpoints and share this with the community who was reading these papers exclusively because they were coming out of black stores. Mm. I think that was a major part of it too that often gets overlooked is you, I, I really, I seriously doubt, um, like Fox News is gonna have like a like a whole Minister Farrakhan speech or a whole Dr. King speech or anybody you know who's talking about black people empowering themselves. I doubt Fox News is gonna provide the platform to to you know cogently and clearly share those viewpoints. Yeah, but they'll I, give you three minutes to debate with somebody. Of course, but they're not gonna give you you know. I do, I do. I, you know, when when asked that question, I've always been of the vein of. I don't believe, you know, we should always harp on individuals. I think that is, you know, not how that's not how things really even got done. Then, you know, these individuals are just, you know, kind of the I've seen our martyrs and and seen as, you know, the leaders of these things. But they wouldn't have gotten anywhere if they didn't have a collective to actually move and act. And like King couldn't just walk, you know, across this damn bridge by himself and think that was going to make some change. You know, all these people could just have these thoughts and have done this work without people actually, you know, yeah, you acting on so those much, things. You had like people making sandwiches. You know what I'm You had people bailing folks out of jail. You had people writing articles. You had a lot of different, you know, a lot of different movement parts. But the thing, I think um, something that's detrimental to us, we like, we like shine and we yes. like prestige. And so, you know, everybody wants to be the chief and every and most people don't want to be the Indian. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, just using a figure of speech. Um, and so, like, you'll have, you know, you, you even, like, I think now a popular debate is like, well, you know, you also had James Baldwin back then, or you also had, you know, like, they'll, just, they'll start naming all these unsung civil rights people yeah. trying to give them shine. Like, of course, you know, these people contributed in their ideas goal shouldn't be to create a new figurehead it know? should never be or, or like even right it should never be like even you know even at this moment like the goal shouldn't really be to create a figurehead we have a person who's good at articulating the ideas let that person be the spokesperson please you know same you know the same thing went with um you know with malcolm x he was a part of like the nation of islam back back at that moment he was like a national spokesperson he was a national representative so that was like a common strategy back then to have the best articulator promoting the idea of whatever movement or organization they were working with. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think more than ever now, I think, you know, uh, that we truly have to, you know, step back and see the, you know, certain advantage that we do have and also kind of, you know, gain new perspective on the things that we do have some sense of control over. And um, and also, you know, push for other things to, you know, contribute more to what's going on. I've I've like had this real I have this really weird, interesting opinion of, you know, BET now. I'm a person who, you know, consumes a lot of, you know, just just of media in general. But, you know, when it comes to BET, uh, I think there is a disservice that's happening a lot. Um, And I think I think about, you know. The episode of the Boondocks, you know, where they, you know, they positioned Deborah Lee as this, you know, mogul who's, you know, essentially kind of placing all these very specific and very intentional black, you know, negative black images on this channel to just do this thing. We're going to show you some Tyler Perry. We're going to show you, you know, just got getting kicked down some stairs and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? We're going to show you, you know, ass and liquor and crystal and popping all this shit. You know, it's very, uh, I think it's very interesting. And now they're at this place where they kind of strip themselves a lot of that. And now they're doing a, something that's kind of like, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it in moments. I appreciate the effort, but I think, you know, like you said, when you speak about King had these media 
outlets and these pla- these platforms that were small and big. And I think both of those things are important. I think you need those black, you know, blog sites and those black things. And I think about, you know, when we do all come together, like we did for this movie, I think we can, so mm-hmm. things can happen. Things can change. Like I've seen so many very small and amazing things happen. Just, just center around everyone being very focused around this film. And I think that attitude and that very global sense, like I've seen people, you know, Lily, you know, really get up on the entrepreneurial shit and like put money down to Lily buy a theater out and actually provide a, a thing for people. Um, just a private screening for, you know, you and yours. Then I've seen also, you know, theaters that, you know, are owned, I'm assuming, owned by black people or are owned by people who just see that there is this want or need for this movie. And Lily have shown Black Panther in every single theater that they have in that, you know, in that theater. So it's like it's this real interesting change that's happening and it's making people literally speak differently and talk about things and think and actually just dialogue. And I think though that same energy can happen, you know, to go towards, you know, this thing that's affecting us on the day to day that we kind of always look past. But it's because that thing is, you know, I guess it's harder, it's quote unquote harder to fix. So it's, you know, it's not as easy because this is just something we can consume. This is something that we didn't have no parts in. We didn't help Ryan Coogler make this film. All we're doing mm-hmm. is just consuming the work. We're just reaping the benefits of their work. You see what I'm saying? I think that energy, we need to kind of reform and give that to a, a cause that would be dope as well. I love that people are doing this, but I feel like that energy, the, the whole you know nation kind of coming behind it, need to do the same, have the same energy to kind of you know make some of these very Wakandan uh, elements reality. Mm-hmm. I, well, the thing, the thing too is, um, you it's like you kind of you give your power to different sources through your attention and your currency. Yes, you know, like that's like in the in the modern moment, it's like that's where we're at. Like through your attention and your currency, you kind of give power to certain entities and certain individuals. So you know, if it's certain things that people just aren't supporting, or they're just out of step with where we are as you know as a people or as a community we're not really going to pay attention to it or we're not going to support it. So you exactly. have a lot of, um, I would say, I would say, especially like with, uh, with black media, you have a lot of like mainstream figures who are, who've been fired over the past couple of years because they're not really saying the things or, um, covering the stories that are in line with what we actually believe. You see, um, your boy, um, Dunn Lemon is getting a lot woker. Yes. You know, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to, um, you know, like toughen up his message and, and, and create a more, uh, a more honest opinion about racist incidents in this country. And that's because if he doesn't do that, he's going to get fired. We're not going to pay attention to him anymore. We're not going to give him our attention and our currency if that doesn't happen, if you're, if you're not saying things or uh, presenting us in a way that, you know, that we condone. And I think that's a good thing. We do need to, um, you know, to kind of cut ties with people that we see as being um, detrimental to us or, or um, dishonest as far as our viewpoints are concerned. We need to get rid of them. I agree. They're not, you know, they're not speaking on our behalf. They're not doing us any good. So what do you think about, you know, this very Twitter way of like, quote unquote, canceling black individuals, you know, with the emergence of Trump coming into presidency, there were, you know, several black people who aligned themselves with them, you know, the Steve Harveys and the Kanye's of the world and just so many different people who have done all these different things just throughout the past two years um, who are black people. Mm -hmm. What would you say, you know, what, what do you say about that whole sense of like we just need to get them out of the pain we just don't need to support these people do you think that's a, a the best method of dealing with that kind of just cutting off the people who aren't doing what we need for us and I think it's because there's been so many different things to say about that um I, I think like I like to bring things down to an individual level yes um so, so like like say for example like you know the now president says he's going to bring in Steve Harvey to talk about housing. Why? 
Yeah. It was like, you know, if you if you wanted to talk about media and um presentation in the media, I think it would be it would be more appropriate for Steve Harvey, but you have some more people who are more um you know, astute. You know, you could have brought in Cornell West, you could have brought in so many other people who could have talked about black media if that was the topic, but for housing it's like why, you know, why Steve Harvey? Why not bring in people who've been, you know, studying real estate? Um, people who've been studying like the banking crisis from 2008. Like, is there are black people that do that and that are in tune with this particular issue? Why not bring them in? So mm-hmm. I think when you bring in somebody like Steve Harvey or you bring in Kanye West to talk about, you know, like a serious topic that there are people that actually work with, that means that you're not really serious about having that discussion, exactly. and you're doing that more from um, more for a photo op and to give and to give your um, your voting base arguments. You're, you're just kind of giving them talking points to prove that you're not racist. Well, he met with Steve Harvey. He met with, you know, he went to the black churches. Oh, okay. What do you think about that? You All right, know, like that, that was substantial. What do you think about when the examples that that has happened um, of that similar thing in history, you know, with propping up certain individuals kind of, you know, with like the Booker T. Washington's of the world, Frederick Douglass kind of having those very, you know, connections with government and it definitely gives you this you know sense of like oh okay so they must be working with you know them they must you know it's they they are trying to fight racism obviously if they're working with the negro you know right now you know what do you think about those things that have happened in the past i think some i think some of those people were actually sincere and and, and had a good intention like mm-hmm. i i think Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass were very sincere and had really good intentions. And, Me too. You know, they were they were speaking to the people that were in charge and that had power and have control of the circumstances of it, pretty much everybody in this country. So, you know, with a Booker T. Washington, he's got tangible things to show for it. He has an entire institution that exists right now, like while we're talking on this phone. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he's built an institution. Um, you know, like he he actually had like the Black Business League in Atlanta that he would use to to fund other black businesses that that you know were created in different parts of the South. So. You know, Booker T. Washington was really, you know, he was really putting in work. Like a lot of people, like Du Bois didn't really like his approach, but, you know, given those times, he was producing tangible things for black people. Yes. And I think that's a, so. a, a big part about, you know, just the both of them kind of, you know, being contemporaries of each other, but kind of, you know, color, you know, really contrasting a lot in their own views. But it's definitely, you know, just like with so many different people, you know, you do need like a find that gray area. It's like what you're doing is producing, you know, and what you're doing is, you know, this very interesting right. sense of of like thought and forward thinking of, you know, like because, you know, Booker T was doing things within the now. Like We can grow and we can learn this, you know, very technical skill right now that can help us right now. While, you know, mm-hmm. it's to me, you know, just in the a study, Du Bois was very about yeah, kind of like future building and like how how can we truly progress the Negro in the matter of now? Like we have now been removed from slavery for this long. This is where we're currently living in. How can we now surpass this? And I think those two, I think we, we need more of a sense of instead of choosing sides, which I believe is a very American thing. You know, I think. The sense of us having to pick a side and us having to, you know, be on a certain team and us there's being a versus instead of a collaboration, I believe, is a very American ideal. There always has to be a first. There always has to be a best. There always has to be, you know, a gold medalist. It's always a competition. Mm -hmm. And I think the sense of, you know, I try the sense of being tribal and being very community it's always seen in very small pockets instead of on a grand scheme always where it's like if you think this and you think this it's kind of like well this is just a cut sharp thing you just more on this side and you more on that side because if you uh, present yourself as someone who kind of takes away from both and sees these things people really won't pay you the time of day it's like well i believe in a lot of things that mlk did i thought his approaches were very great this that and the third and i also thought and but i also think it's interesting how they kind of took on you know interesting personas before they passed of you know almost becoming more like the other and i think we need more of that just in general not even just on a you know a sense of that height but in general just people need to find that gray area more often 
You know, and definitely, like, there's a place, there was, like, even at that time, and even now, like, there was a place for both of them. Yes. Um, um, Washington even offered Du Bois a teaching job at Tuskegee, so I don't, it wasn't like a, a 50 cent Ja Rule type of beef. Of course. It was, it was, it was just, you know, it was just a public, it was like public they had on how to educate a black person in that moment. And you look at it like, you know, Washington was older than Du Bois. Like he was, he was like a slave for a certain period in his life. And then he, he got free after being enslaved and started to like develop himself and like go, go through an education, a certain type of education of, you know, learning technical skills and learning um, like academic skills. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was what saved him. So he wanted to use that to save other people. Now, just like with Du Bois, you know, he came from being like the the hot shot in his town. Um, like he was in 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 high school, like you know, being a secretary of like like a I think like a news organization or like a community organization. And then he went off to college, and then he got this real fancy liberal arts um, education in Germany, and then came back to Harvard. He wanted to, you know, he was like, you know, I'm proof that a black person can get a fancy liberal arts education. Yeah. So he was trying to use his, he was trying to pretty much recreate his experience for other people. And essentially that's what all of us are going to try to do. But we have to realize that there's a, there's, you know, there's room for all of us if our motive, if our motive is, um, you know, where it should be. There's room for all of us. And, and the things that are plaguing us as a community, they're interdisciplinary. So our approach has to be interdisciplinary. I, I truly believe that. I think now you know the best example of where we are now because i feel like i get the you know i have that very you know interesting conversation about progression and where we are and don't you think we've you know came came away from and it's kind of like on a lot of levels i believe yes i am a black man now who can walk the streets and go buy something you know consume a lot of different things have my podcast and not you know my life be in danger, or at least it doesn't seem like it is. Um, and just have a life. And I don't believe, and I guess, but I, th I, I guess that's on a very, you know, very basic ass level, but I feel like there's still these things that are out of my control. When I get, if I get into my car later today and I drive down a certain street, you know, depending on, you know, that officer that day, I, I possibly could, you know, be a very dangerous person to him it, so it's these uncontrollables that have really nothing to do with me but I'm all I'm the, in the center of it because it's kind of like I'm connected to it I have this you know connection to it I believe I look at Chicago and you've been to Chicago and my first guy here they told me okay so you see all this all of this like from this block to this block don't go there you see this from here to here don't go there you see this little space this one street or these collection of streets don't go there if you don't know nobody there and i'm like damn that's a whole lot of a city that's quote unquote dangerous and war zones whatever you want to call them and majority of these places are majority black. And I think, you know, in every other name, in every other city, in every other major city, you know, you have the Korea towns, the Chinatowns. And when it comes to just, you know, these very all black neighborhoods, you know, these are just, you know, quintessentially just ghettos. There's no organization, there's no sense of culture. And I think people all see that as a negative and see that as a threat of existence, I see that as an opportunity for a better existence, you know, because it's, we have all of these people in one place. A lot of these people don't want to go anywhere. They're comfortable. Obviously, they're still there or they can't go anywhere because they, they just don't have, the, they haven't been given the resource to. So what can we do? Right. I've, I've been, I've always been on the vein of like, we need to build up these places build up these blocks i feel like no one has done anything different something as simple as just playing grass like could do so much to the mindsets of those children who literally have lived in, like who literally lived in these apartment complexes with dirt you know dirt mounds 
in the midst of that you know right on the sides but it's like they have no trees they have no grass they have nothing aesthetically pleasing to truly you know consume and just take in when they go in and outside of their home or just play outside and i think that's a fucked up thing and i think it just takes those very small incremental things that really can truly change the mindsets and make change in these types of places they can, can truly become cultural centers because i believe we need those little hades and things like that and i think that's what did the most when it came mm-hmm. to just pushing us forward was the collectiveness and really like the way a neighborhood looks it gives us its identity it yeah. gives it a, um you know its culture so like you got like community art where you might have like um in atlanta you got muralists like um fabian williams who you know who put the Kaepernick uh, mural, Kaepernick in the Kaepernick in the Falcons uniform right by the AUC, mm-hmm. or he put um, Muhammad Ali up in the Black Panther outfit. I think that said in the Black Panther superhero outfit. Um, I think that that says a lot, you know, to the people in the community. Like when they can see that, you know, the, the art in this neighborhood looks like me. It's a it's a thin and safe place to live. It looks good over here. You know that affects that affects how you operate in that space. Mm-hmm. If you go to like if you go to somebody's house, like this is like something I'll, a point I always notice. Like you go to somebody's house and it's nasty, you just gonna you know you gonna walk in. You're not even gonna want to sit down. You're not gonna want to get comfortable. Take your shoes off. Your lady not gonna put her purse down. So you know you're gonna be you know it's gonna alter how you uh, move in the space. But if you come to somebody's somebody's apartment and it's really nice and it's clean, you're going to ask them, do I need to take my shoes off? Hmm. You know, like you're going to ask what the rules are because you can see from the maintenance of the space, there's a certain tone that's been set. So I think the same thing applies to our neighborhoods. I agree. You know, agree. That's, my, la- my last question for you, though, fam, before I let you go, is you're a person who literally studies history. And the question of, you know, that happens every single year, and I'm personally tired of it, but it happens, you know, internally, it's a, it's an inside conversation as well, you know, with the black people, and that is of Black History Month. Um, I've done, you know, the good, get a little bit of research about, you know, just Carter G. Woodson and why he did this and what the purpose of it was and why he chose, you know, February, which was something that a lot of people don't know why he chose February. I want to know from your perspective of, you know, the importance of why black history should be not only celebrated in this month, but just in general. Um, the way the way that I look at it is um, it's a it's an ongoing American holiday. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I, don't, I don't think it should be viewed as I actually think, you know, our, our conversation, like I always call it a conversation, the wash, like things are going to come out in the dialogue. They're going to come out in the wash. Mm-hmm. So, so like when we're having these talks about, you know, I'm black every month, um, you know, I don't have to only celebrate my history in February. I think that's a good thing that we're saying these things. Um, but, you know, just looking at the month of February, I think that's the moment where everybody else in this country need, you know, they need to study our history you know, nationally and be reminded, not that they don't, you know, not that they don't actually know, um, you know, what we've contributed to this country, but we need, I think we need everybody else to have these um, refreshers every year, even if it's just for 28 days, they need to have these refreshers, um, you know, to just kind of, you know, like recognize what's been done and what's been contributed. I wouldn't say it's like necessarily, um, we should make it a point to like if your if your children go to public school when they come home every day, you need to debrief them. Mm-hmm. You know, ask what you know. What did you learn today in school? And if you know if there's something that they learned that conflicts with the actual reality, you need to put your you know you need to put your child up on game. I think we need to debrief debrief ourselves every day. And even when adults come home from work, you need to you need to take the responsibility to debrief to uh, debrief yourself as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I see it. I see it as I see Black History Month as a debriefer for other folks. Yeah, yeah, that's real. That's real. It's a month, it's a month for other folks to de- to uh, to debrief about a lot of the lives they've been mm-hmm. taught. Yeah, and I think I think so. that's that's the point that uh, 
I feel like, you know, my show is all about. You know, uh, my my tagline is, you know, the Soulfully Conscious Podcast and humans simply being humans. And I say that because I feel like people who listen to my show, they listen to it and they can say, oh, okay, so your podcast is just for black people. And I'm just like, no, not at all. You should listen to it and learn something because I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm giving you who I am within this show. I'm speaking from my perspective. And if I don't have the perspective personally, I'm going to ask someone to come and provide that for me. So this this blackness and this soulfulness and all those things are going to come from me because that is who I am. That is what I am. And I'm going to present you what I am. And I believe everyone should right. do the same. I believe that's a beautiful thing. You know, debrief. That's great. That is such a beautiful thing to make habit. Not only debrief 365, but when it comes to Black History Month, push it to your friends who are non-black, you know, to your, you know, black and to your brown friends who may be, you know, Latin and, you know, and some type of, you know, Asian American. They need to know these things as well, because I believe, you know, there's this real interesting sense of history they've been given about blackness that I think that they just kind of just chalked up to be, you know, that's just what black people are. And this is and a lot of them go the extreme route and really try to their best to assimilate into whiteness and just really take on this very, you know, white opinion of black, this very general white opinion of blackness and kind of just distance themselves from it. But I believe that you need to understand like who, who we are, how we've affected this, this place we call America, and that you, this place that you've called home, because a lot of the, a lot of the people who look just like me, have literally made it so that you can have this sense, you know, this sense of, you know, I guess quote unquote, you know, freedom and liberty within America, and I think that's a connection that needs mm-hmm. to be made, even though it may sound bold to some people. It's kind of like just give them the facts. It's kind of like. People were fighting for your rights, yeah. and these rights weren't yeah. so singular to just black people. They were trying to get every single person out and understand that there's this government or there's this force that's really trying to come down on you. There's so many different things right. in the history of people who, who do not look like us, and we were the first people to fight for them and include them in the conversation as well. So I think, if not more than anything in this month, and you say what? And just, you know, like to your point about, um, you know, like crafting the messaging of um, Black History Month and really like curating that message. Yeah. Like you you got a lot of black people who, are, you know, are going to listen to this podcast who are, you know, they might be in control of the social media page at their job for Black History Month or they might be in control of a certain event. Or they can present that as and, an idea. And, you know, like craft that message. Yeah, you can present that as an idea, like, and really just kind of just kind of craft what the messaging is going to be. And even if a person is like, they, you know, they're really not interested and they're passively looking at, you know, your finished product, they've seen the fact, they know it's there and it's in their subconscious mind. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's there. It is. It is. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, Farron, I won't take too much more of your time. I appreciate you. For giving me so much of your time um definitely got to do this again this is a great i love i just love your perspective on so many things um tell people you know how they can either follow you support you with anything that you could do um just um hit me on instagram just uh farron manual that's f-a-r-o-n manual m-a-n-u-e-l no caps no spaces and what and what which what museum do you um kind of work at and kind of contribute to um, currently, I'm at the High Museum. Um, I have a, like pretty much I'm managing a, um, a diversity grant from the Mellon Foundation, and I take a part in a writing curriculum. Mm. Yeah, I go to the High. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's great. Um, definitely check that out. Definitely support some of the work that he's done, still doing, and make sure you follow him and give him all the love. Please, please, please. You just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans Simply Being Humans. I'm Rodney Perry, and this is Simply King. Love y'all. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. I don't know what's
But I know 